0: Today we're going to uh, do a sermon reading, a sermon reading by Christopher Love, it's sermon number four of the 16 sermons, and it's entitled. It's, the book is entitled Sixteen Sermons, wherein is plainly shown true grace with its different degrees and several important cases of conscience answered in the course of the work. If you're turning your Bibles to First Kings fourteen, verse thirteen. That's the text of the sermon. 1 Kings fourteen thirteen. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Before we come to the use of caution, I shall here state a case of conscience, which is this, that among God's people there are some found that have but little grace and small measures found in them. Then I ask, What is the least measure of grace which a man can have and yet still be said to be in a state of grace? This is a practical and useful case. First, this is of great use to Christians who have but a lower form in religion and have but little grace. Yet they may know that little they have. And though they have not attained strength of grace, yet they may know the truth of grace in themselves. And although they come short of strong believers, yet they all hereby know that they go beyond the hypocrite. For the least measure of grace is better than the greatest measure of gifts. Secondly, The knowledge of this will quicken the soul unto due endeavors after a further increase. This will teach them to abound more and more. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 says, Furthermore then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Now, that we may discover what is the lowest degree of true grace, I shall show it to you in some of the following particulars. Number one, true grace is a light in the soul to see, or, uh, to see the evil and the mischievous nature of sin, though not an ability to modify sin. The entrance of God's word gives light and gives understanding to the simple which says, which is said in Psalm 19 that is the first work of, of the word upon the soul the very beginning of converting grace in the heart is light whereby you see sin and its sinfulness as it was in the first creation the first thing that was created was light so in the second creation, the first work is to open the eyes of the blind and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Acts twenty-six eighteen. Upon the work of conversion in the soul, the first degree of grace is to be enlightened with the light of the living. So that where this light is missing there cannot be a work of grace true grace is a settled and fixed purpose of heart to leave sin and to cleave unto God grace does not consist so much in actual mortifying of sin as in an unfeigned and settled purpose of heart to leave every sin The prodigal son's resolution to go to his father's house argued some grace in him. He said, I will arise and go to my father's house. That is, I will leave my wicked company in courses. And it is said, his father saw him from far off and ran and met him. The Lord did work in him a purpose to leave his sin. Gregory on this place says that remission of sin came to his heart before his confession broke out in his speech to his father. So David says, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, in Psalm 32, five, Augustine observes on this place, but David does not say he did confess, but that he purposed to confess his sin. And yet this, his purpose, was true grace, though one of the least measures of grace. That holy purpose of David argued grace in him when he said, I have purposed and will not transgress thy law. I have sworn and will perform it. That I will keep thy righteous judgments which is taken from Psalm 17.3 and 119.106 It argues grace when a soul does cleave unto the Lord with full purpose of heart Number three Another low measure of grace is this a sensible complaint of the want of grace. Thus, he that did come to Christ and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief, he had grace. He does not say, Lord, help my faith, but Lord, help my unbelief. His expression about his unbelief denotes not only his want, but his sensibleness of his want. This is that poverty of spirit which has the first place in the Beatitudes. This is the lowest rung of the ladder. The apostle tells us that the spirit helps our infirmities in sighs and groans that cannot be uttered. Romans 8.26 Observe here that it is not said The Spirit helps us with comforts and joys but with sighs and groans where we may learn that the Spirit's help is as well in sighs and groans and sensible complaints of our wants as it is in holy delight. Strength of grace is seen in holy joys and delights but truth of grace may be seen and discerned in sighs and groans and complaints complaints of our wants. They are said to be the sides and groans which cannot be uttered. Not in regard to their greatness but as Master Perkins observes in regard to their weakness. God's children at first lacking the ability to express their own thoughts. To be sensible of the want of grace is grace. For nature cannot make a man duly sensible of the want of grace, nor sensibly to complain of that want. Number four. Earnest desire after more grace argues that there is grace in the soul, though it be but small. I do not place the beginning of grace in an ability to exercise grace, but rather in an earnest desire after grace. Desire after grace is accounted by God, the grace itself we desire. For so we find that Nehemiah's desire to fear the Lord is accounted for actually fearing God. Desires are the seeds of grace and the graces of themselves are the blossoms and the sweet fruit that spring from them. Grace exercised is the fruit of a holy desire after grace. That desire of grace is in God's acceptation. Grace may be thus demonstrated. Number one, God's people have appealed to God concerning the uprightness of their hearts merely by their desires so says the church the desire of our soul is to thy name and the remembrance of thee and with my soul uh, have I desired thee in the night Isaiah 26 8 number two God has made many gracious promises not only to the acting and exercising of grace but to the desires after grace Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, Matthew 5, 6. If any man thirst, says Christ, let him come to me and drink. Nay, there is a general and universal invitation to everyone that thirsts to come to the waters, in Isaiah 55, 1. And God has promised to give to him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Revelation 21.6 The Lord has also promised to fulfill the desire of those that fear him. And he will hear the desire of the humble. Psalm 145.10 and 10.17 So that by these promises it does appear that hungering and thirsting and desires after grace are grace in God's account and acceptation. Now, lest any man should rest in lazy and sluggish desires and thereby neglect the exercise of grace, I shall give you an account in what sense the scripture considers desires after grace to be grace. Number one, they are supernatural desires. It is true that there are natural desires in the soul, after that which is good. It is the language of nature to say, who will show us any good? Psalm 4.6 Now these desires may and do arise from the motion of the natural and unsanctified will of man. And these desires are after happiness and not after holiness. Holiness. Such were the desires of Balaam who said let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his Numbers 23.10 This was only a natural desire but true desires in the soul are after heaven for holiness sake Bernard notably sets out these desires of natural men that they have a desire of the end and not of the means number two desires after grace are joined with holy endeavors and therefore the apostle joins desire and zeal together 2 Corinthians 7.11 to intimate that true desires are always joined with zealous endeavors 2 Corinthians 7.11 says for behold this self-same thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things you have, you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Thus, the Apostle also joins a readiness of will and performance together in 2 Corinthians 8, 11, and 12, which says, Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. <clears throat> God will never accept the will for the deed, unless there is an endeavor to perform what we say we are willing to do. And therefore, Solomon rightly describes how pernicious desires are without endeavors. The desires of the slothful, he says, kill him because his hands refuse to labor. Proverbs 21.25 Bernard describes this laziness to the life. Carnal men love to obtain, but love not to follow Christ. They will not endeavor to seek him who they desire to find. Number three. Desires which are true and gracious are not satisfiable thus David speaks of his desires my soul says he breaks for the longing it has to thy judgments at all times Psalm one hundred nineteen twenty. 20 yea he further describes the ardency the insatiableness of his desires by the heart panting after the water brooks Psalm 42 1 as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. The heart is naturally the most thirsty of all creatures, but his thirst is much increased when the poor beast is chased with dogs. Even so, true desires of the soul after grace are earnest and ardent and vehement desires. Number four. You may know true desires after grace by their object. Desires are not gracious if they are more after outward things than after God. So David says, My soul thirsteth after God, after the living God, in Psalm 42, 2. And my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth after thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is in Psalm 40 or 63, 1 Thus his soul longed and did break with longing after God's judgments Now therefore would you know whether you have any beginning of grace in your soul then examine what your desires are Perhaps you cannot pray, but do you desire to pray? Perhaps you cannot mourn for sin, but do you mourn because you cannot mourn? Perhaps you do not believe as you fear, but do you desire to believe? Perhaps you cannot repent, but do you desire to repent and do you labor to repent? If so, then you may conclude that you have some beginnings of true grace in your soul. Number five. We may know the truth of grace, though it be but little, by the earnest desire after the word and the means of grace. Thus Peter sets forth our desires. As newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. 1 Peter 2.2 There is in a child a natural instinct as soon as it is born to desire after the mother's breast. The apostle makes it a resemblance of a spiritual man. A man spiritually new born will desire after the word, the means of grace, that he may grow in grace. Number six. We may know the truth of grace, though it be but little, by an endeared love to those that have grace. By this you know that you are passed from death to life, because you love the brethren. 1 John 3:14. Casuists upon this text say that love to God's children is the first grace, and first appears in young converts. The natives in New England, it is observed upon their conversion, for God hath begun there to bring some of those poor creatures from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to himself. The first appearance of grace in them is in their love and respect to those that are truly gracious. Thus I have showed you an answer to the question, what are the least measures of grace, without which, or some of them, a man cannot be said to have grace. And wheresoever any of these are, that man's condition is safe. And these little measures of grace will bring a man to heaven. I shall here lay down some cautions to prevent misapplication. Number one. Though these small measures of grace are saving, yet you must not content yourselves with them. Take heed lest what I have said for the support of the weakness of some Christians become not a pillow for the idleness of others, but let us strive to go on unto perfection, as it says in Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ let us go on unto perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God we must not sit down with any measure of grace and to persuade you of this first consider that things merely necessary and sufficient to maintain a natural life will not content a man But man is content though he has enough clothes to hide his nakedness and enough food to keep life and soul together. He desires not only clothes for nakedness but for ornament, and not only food for hunger and necessity but for delight. Now shall men be unbounded after their desires for outward things and shall they sit down and say they have enough for heavenly things? Number two, consider if you content yourself with a small measure of grace. Though you shall have the fruit of your grace when you die, yet you will lack the comfort of your grace while you live. It is the strength of grace that gives assurance. Weak grace will bring your soul to heaven, but it is the strength of grace that will bring heaven into your soul. The work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness shall be quietness and assurance forever, as it is said in Isaiah thirty-two, seventeen. A child of God seldom has peace and comfort from the habit of righteousness, but from the exercise of righteousness. He that lacks these things, says Peter, is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not spoken of wicked men who have no grace but of such who have grace and because they do not exercise it they do not discern the comfortable fruits of grace in their souls. A little faith unexercised as to comfort as we have showed is as good as no faith. They that add not to the stock of grace will lack the comfort of grace. So that a weak Christian who is compared by Peter to a semi-blind man, uh, he cannot see because the eyesight of his faith is weak, Uh, he cannot see afar off, he cannot see his name written in heaven. He will lack the comfortable evidence of grace in his heart who contents himself with measures of grace. The second caution is do not take those things to be evidences of the truth of grace which are evidences only of the growth and strength of grace. Weak converts do involve themselves in a labyrinth of misery in judging themselves by those symptoms which are evidences only of the strength of grace. You must not judge yourself whether you are in the state of grace by this, as whether you have ravishing joys and comforts in the Holy Ghost. These are things that God indulges unto some few, and those of a long standing in the school of Christ. In a school, a scholar must not compare himself with one of the highest form. If you would judge of the truth of your grace, Judge by the lowest measure. The reason why hypocrites and low-form Christians do make this mistake is this. Hypocrites judge they have grace because they have gifts. And we Christians judge they have no grace because they do not find such measures of grace in themselves as there are in others. We do not say it is not day because it is not noon. It is unthankfulness to God and uncharitable to ourselves to argue the non-existence of grace from the weakness of it. And therefore, if you cannot say, I see my grace, yet it is good if you can say, Blessed be God, I see my sin. If you cannot say that you are leaving sin, yet it is good if you can say, I have a full purpose of heart to do so. If you can but cry out for the lack of grace, yet comfort yourself, and do not conclude that you have no grace. Number three. Do not conclude that you have small measure of grace because you have but small measure of comfort. This is the fault of young converts. They take measure of their grace by their comfort, which is a false and deceitful rule. Growth of grace is not to be measured by the working of joy. The sweet blossom of joy may fall off when the fruit of grace may come on. Yea, sometimes Christians who have the greatest measure of grace may have the least measure of comfort. And all to let us know but as it is with the being and the exercise, so the comforts of our graces come from free grace. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who was anointed above his fellows and was full of grace and truth, yet in the time of his desertion was without comfort, when by reason of the suspension of the favor of God his Father, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so sometimes, Christians that have but little measures of grace may have much comfort. And this is the reason for that flash of joy that young comforts have. It is God's indulgence toward them, to give them great joy at their first conversion. And indeed, their joy at that time is the more to be taken notice of because usually such have much trouble of mind when they pass through the pangs of the new birth. The change is then special, which afterwards is but gradual. And so, though after, though they have afterwards more grace, more settled joys and comforts, yet at their first conversion, they may have more sense of their joys. Though afterwards, they may find an increase of grace when joy may be as real though not felt by the senses and therefore do not judge your grace by your comforts number four do not conclude the measure of your grace little because you have only a little measure of gifts Gifts are the issues of time and experience, and the fruit of studies, promoted by the strength of natural parts. A man may have a quick and pregnant imagination, a profound judgment, a retentive memory, a clear elocution, and the like, and yet none of these things can be arguments of grace, since all are but natural endowments. Gifts may be high and grace may be low. Thus it was with the church of Corinth. They were enriched with utterance and knowledge, as says 1 Corinthians 1, 5-7. That in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they came behind other churches in no gift. And yet the apostle speaks of these very Corinthians, that they were very low in grace. For so he taxes them in 1 Corinthians 3.13, that they were not spiritual, but carnal men, babes in Christ, That that by reason of their envying, strife and divisions they were carnal and walked as men thus the church of Laodicea was rich and increased in gifts and grew proud of it too and yet for grace was poor and naked and blind and miserable it is with some professors as it is with the well-read scholar who, having read many books of geography and the description of places, can talk about them very well. But if he were to travel those countries of which he has so often read, he would soon be at a loss. And so gifts may carry men far for matters of discussion about religion. But it is only grace that enables a man to practice religion. A child of God that has but a little measure of gifts may have, for all that, much grace. Of all the seven churches of Asia, it is said of Philadelphia that she had but little strength, Revelation 3.8, that is, but little strength of parts and gifts. And yet that church was very eminent for grace. For she, with as much, if not more, faithfulness than the other churches, did keep the word of Christ's patience and did not deny his name. Judge not, therefore, your grace by your gifts. It is good to covet, covet earnestly the best gifts, but the way of true grace, though but weak, is a more excellent way. I shall conclude this point with some further consolation to the people of God that have but weak measures of grace. Number one, though you are but weak in yourself, yet you have much strength outside yourself, or rather, it is in thee. Because of the Spirit of Christ, uh, who dwells in the hearts of those who believe that the devil does all he can to make a little faith fail. But Christ prays that it fail not. Great are the confederacies of the world, the flesh and the devil against your little grace. But be of good comfort. You are of God, little children, says St. John, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 4.4 And the weaker you are, the more advantage God has to magnify the glory of his power in your weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9 Comfort yourselves, you weak Christians, for you have a strong God. In the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Isaiah 26.4 Your God is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He is able by his almighty power through faith to keep you unto salvation. 1 Peter 1.5 You have a strong God. Fear not. His power will be magnified in your weakness. Number two. You have a strong Savior. Though your grace is weak. Yet he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Hebrews 7.25 Christ is the wisdom and the power of God to those that are called 1 Corinthians one twenty four. yea he is called a strong redeemer Our redeemer is strong the Lord of hosts is his name Satan is indeed the prince of the power of the air for so he is called in Ephesians 2.2 but Jesus Christ is truly the great power of God who is able, because stronger than the strong man armed, to bruise Satan under the feet of his saints. Romans 6.10 Number three, you lie under a strong word which is able to carry on the work of grace which has begun in you. The word of God, though it be foolishness to them that perish, yet is it is the power of God to them that are saved. Yet it is an engine, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Second Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. Wherefore the apostle prays, Now, brethren... I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified, Acts 20:32. So that cheers us up. Though faith be weak, yet the Word of God is strong. It is that engrafted word which is able to save your souls, James 121. Yea, in a word, the word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and truly furnished unto all good works. 2 Timothy 3.16 Number four. You are weak, but you stand on a sure foundation. Number one, it is a foundation. Number two, it is a sure foundation. Number three, it is the foundation of God. And four, it is the foundation of God that cannot shake, but stands firm. Now the weak believer stands by the immutable decree of God, which here the apostle calls the foundation of God. Number five, weak believers are assisted by a strong spirit. The spirit of God is not only a spirit of grace and supplication, but it is also a spirit of power. And therefore let weak believers cheer themselves up, though they have but little grace. Yet that little grace is upheld and maintained by the great power of God unto salvation the truth and essence of grace is not discerned so much by good acts as by good affections how fair is my love my sister says Christ to the spouse in the song of Solomon 420 God reckons of our beauty by our love and of our perfection by the sincerity of our affections Natural abilities to which formalists and hypocrites may come up may and do resemble good actions, but they cannot come up to good affections. A painter may paint the color of the face, but his art cannot give heat unto the pictures. Good actions may give you the resemblance of a Christian. So what Jehu did resembled a true reformer, but they are good affections that do set out the life and the heat of true grace. Judge your grace, therefore, by your affections and take comfort in this, though you are little and low in actions, if you are warm and working in your affections. The third and last comfort is this, that little grace shall be lasting grace Adam had perfection but had not perseverance and you poor soul have imperfection of grace but have perseverance in grace the most violent and impetuous flood of corruption shall not quench the least measure the least spark of true grace The most boisterous blast of temptation shall not extinguish this poor smoking flax. Not one drop of this divine ointment shall be spilled as water upon the ground. Comets may blaze for a while and then they fall to show that it was a comet and not a star. True stars do not and cannot fall. Oh, then bless God Who though in his anger Breaks the nations like a potter's vessel With an iron mace Yet such is his tenderness over weak believers That he will not break the bruised reed And though he puts out the candle of the wicked Yet he will not quench the smoking flax The seeming graces of hypocrites Shall perish and come to nothing when true grace shall hold out. The painted face decays soon, but the natural complexion lasts. A child of God may be tossed by reason of corruption and temptation into a troublesome sea. But that ship shall never be shipwrecked where Christ is the pilot. The scriptures, the compass. The promises, the tacklings. Hope, the anchor. Faith the cable, the Holy Ghost the winds, and holy affections the sails, which are filled thus with the gales of the Spirit. Fear not, therefore, little flock, for it is your Father's pleasure to give you a kingdom.
1: This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need.